0: I uh, I don't know. Do I let the kids go for children's church? I don't know. I'm waiting for a judgment here. Stephanie, you going to take all? I mean, not Stephanie. Gina, you going to take all of them? Uh, I'm not saying it would be easier, but it would. All right. Abby, you want to help? You help. You don't be obnoxious, little girl. I'm going to grab my water bottle. My throat is... Oh, what a fun time we live in. (laughs) And then I think that's official. Gina is going to be uh, nominated for sainthood. (laughs) I know almost the entire church left to go to Children's Church. Uh, This reminds me of an Easter... yeah when the whole church left all right we're gonna pray and i'll and I'll share the word. I know I just finished praying, but i'm I need to come into focus here um heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with me uh, help me to focus on this i i lord you know i'm I'm tired and i'm I'm still kind of sick myself and I pray for your grace on me um that your spirit would speak uh i pray that that you would help me to to say the right things, help me to be the kind of um, conduit of, of your word, Lord God, and your spirit. Help me to not get in the way, but just to preach what, um, what your text says, what your, what your scriptures say, and what the gospel says. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, I'm too young to know about this guy, but, but apparently there was a, uh, a quarterback, um, uh, named Joe Theismann. Is anybody old enough to know who Joe was? Uh. And I guess he did commentary for ESPN, but, again, like I'm way too young to know about that. Uh, Joe Theismann, um, allegedly, when he was talking to his wife, uh, his soon-to-be second ex-wife, he was having this conversation with her about why he, uh, why he cheated on her. And, and as he's talking to her, allegedly, like what, according to her, she, uh, she said that, that his explanation was um, – God wants Joe Theismann to be happy, um, which is crazy, right? Like, you know, why did you cheat on me? Why did you break our marriage vows? Why did you commit adultery? Why did you, well, God wants me to be happy. And the crazy thing is, and the reason I picked that out as a sort of a starting illustration is, um, <clears throat> I, I've heard of other people saying this. Um, When I was in Indiana and I was working uh, as a youth pastor, the pastor I was under um, told me about uh, another pastor in the the, um, synod. uh, It was a Presbyterian church, so it would be in the synod, um, who had gotten caught cheating on his wife. And his explanation was, well, it was okay because God wants me to be happy. Um, And and it's a crazy idea. And especially, I think, in the West, we're so rich. And comfortable, and everything is so um, easy, and and we're told over and over and over again by the TV and by the media and by everyone else, you deserve to be happy, and that that is the most important aim in life, and and a lot of times we confuse God's desire for us because um, God wants us to be like Him, and. Is there a joy that comes with that? Is there a happiness that comes with it? Yes. However, God's primary objective is not for us to be happy. It's to be holy. Um, and as we dive into our text this week, uh, like we have to keep this at the forefront of our minds. Because we're about to go into a section of Acts where things are going to get hard. Um, where things are going to get increasingly hard, and where people are going to get hurt and killed, and um you know it, it 's hard to read a text like what we 're about to look at um, and and then turn around and like face a culture that says "God wants you to be happy all the time you know is are you upset well clearly a snicker's bar 'll fix it right <laughs> um are you, uh, you know, are you, you not in the holiday spirit? Buy a Lexus, right? Because it's beginning to look a lot like savings at your Lexus dealership, right, Nathan? Uh, <laughs> it is. It is this crazy idea that everything should be comfortable and easy, and that's a lie. It is. And so we're going to dive into this text, and and there's some hard stuff here, um, and and I'm going to. Like, rather than preach the whole rest of the chapter of, of Acts that we're looking at, I'm breaking out a little piece here because there's something fun in it, um, fun and hard. Uh, our series so far, we're working through Acts. We did a whole chunk of sermons, like topical sermons, on the church and on what the church is supposed to be. And then kind of when I came to a, a point with that, I realized that the best way to describe what the church is supposed to be is to look at the baby church, like the beginning, the, the prototype, um, if you will, and to look at what happened in that setting and, and to find things that we can learn in it. Um, and, and we're going to talk about holiness and following Jesus, right? Like we're in the book of Acts, uh, which is the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, is probably a better title for it, though there are folks who've tried to call it the Acts of Peter and, jo- uh, Peter and Paul. Uh, or, or what have you, or like the acts of the apostles is what I learned it as. Um, but in reality, this is the acts of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit has come into the church and into our lives for the purpose of making us holy and enabling us to follow Christ. Right? Like that is what the Holy Spirit is there for. Um, and so as we dive into this, like, understand this is the mindset, um, And finally, um, Ananias and Sapphira. And I don't care if I'm pronouncing it wrong. I watched the sermon last week, and Jeremy pronounced it 12 different ways and apologized every time. And as an American citizen, I'm going to say whatever I want. Ananias and Sapphira, I can pronounce things wrong. That is my right as an American. Um, Last week, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira, who um, lied to the church. And it didn't work out well. My wife uh, is fond of making the statement that it is the only instance of slaying in the spirit you will ever see in the scriptures, where (laughs) they sold a piece of property that was theirs to sell, they took the money, and then they lied about how much they had made so they would look awesome in front of the church. And so um, Ananias went and did this, he gave his money to the church, and Peter's like, is this all of it? And Ananias says, yep, that's every last penny. Or a drachma or whatever. um, And he was struck dead. And Peter said, why would you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why would you lie to God? And Jeremy did an excellent job of drawing out the idea behind this. That the problem wasn't that they didn't give everything. The problem wasn't that they didn't sell everything they had. The problem wasn't any of that. The problem was that they lied. That they went to the church and they thought, my moment of unholiness doesn't matter. What really matters is I will be awesome in front of everyone. And that's where we run into a problem, like in our modern idea of what the church is versus what the church um, in its infancy ideally was. Holiness is at the center of it. And it was at the center of the nation of Israel. Actually, we'll, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, holiness is the driving purpose of the church Um, and it is the thing that makes us powerful. It's the thing that makes us like, like, like enabled to do what God calls us to do. The Holy Spirit working through us and us pursuing holiness. Well, what is holiness? There's this crazy idea that holiness is like the Mr. Clean solution to the world, right? Break out the bleach and the harsh chemicals because that is how we become holy. We wash away every trait of sin and every trait of wickedness and every ugliness and we wash ourselves thoroughly in the shower and we scrub ourselves down and what is left is what is holy and that is not the case what is holy is to reflect god it is to be like god and so when i grow to be increasingly christ like i grow to be increasingly holy um that be like part of that is being like a person who avoids sin if i soak in the sin and the worldliness and the wickedness and everything else like i will never achieve holiness because sin is kind of the opposite right and that's a part of it but i think it was uh dietrich bonhoeffer i want to say who said that um perhaps like being holy is less about being good and more about going out and boldly doing God's work in the world because it's not enough to be sinless. It is um, about looking like Christ. And so that means loving your enemies. Well, that's hard, right? Anyway, so holiness is the drive. Ananias and Sapphira um, demonstrate the difficulty of holiness and to stand before a holy God as wicked people um, results in dying, right? Um, it results in big, hard, ugly things. And so we're going to dive into the text because it's—I'm—I don't even know how long I'm in, but I'm—I've been talking a bit and I haven't even gotten to the text yet. Acts chapter five, verse twelve. Follow along at home. There will be no bouncing ball and text on the screen. Um, the apostles perform many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. So you have pause right there. Um, The apostles are performing miracles. Not like, I mean, not card tricks. I mean, honest to goodness miracles. And we're going to find out in a second that people start bringing sick and, and dying folks to the church For the purpose of healing, am I getting picked up by a second? Oh, it's in the way, isn't it? Um, For the purpose of healing, because these miracles are big, and like there's so many people coming that it has swollen the population of the surrounding communities. Like like the neighboring cities can't even support the number of people that are coming because so many folks are flocking to the power that is on display. Is that the apostles' power? No, because the apostles don't have power. Who has power? The Holy Spirit has power, and the Holy Spirit has filled them up, and when they heal people, they heal people because the Holy Spirit has enabled them to heal people. Now, the negative that comes with that is you can't be wicked and approach God. You can't. Um, One of the examples I read, actually, it was from uh, Philip Yancey, uh, talks about how um, the Israelites, when they came out of slavery in Egypt, there was a whole nation um, of folks who were on their way to the promised land like a million people and they're out in the desert and they lived for 40 years in God's presence where there was a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke and they would routinely see God like manifest on the mountain and Moses would go and talk to God and he would come back and he would glow like a light bulb and if you ever saw it well anyway um <laughs> the the like they are in God's presence and they are unable to survive it the fact that they are in God's holy presence like, none of them live through it. Only two people go to the promised land. And in the end, it's a gift from God, not because they're awesome. It's because God is merciful. Otherwise, all of them would die in the desert. Like, their kids eventually went. Um, there's a great, great story of this. And I'm going to read it from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Oh, my gosh, this text is so small. Um, this is 21.4 uh, from Mount Hor. H-O-R, whore, uh, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Um, so they're in the desert, and God is feeding them with manna every day. So they wake up in the morning, they don't go to the farm, they don't go to the grocery store, they go out of camp and get food. It's manna, it's bread, it's everywhere, and all they have to do is just pick it up and eat it. And it tastes like honey and coriander, and I I imagine that's a good taste, but every day they got bored, and eventually they're like, God, this isn't good enough, we're dying out here, it's too hot, I don't... You know, he's touching me. I, you know, and they start complaining like children because that's basically what they are. They're overgrown children. They get to see God every day and his holiness and his awesomeness. And they all they have to do is say, I wish we had meat. And all of a sudden there's meat everywhere. And look, we're hungry. Oh, look, there's food here. You know, hey, we're thirsty. Oh, look, water's coming out of the rocks. I mean, it is amazing. God is doing so much and they are spoiled children. Children. But in the holy presence of God, their grumbling against him cannot go unanswered. Why? Because God's holiness is a consuming fire that ate Ananias and Sapphira ultimately, right? Like, did you give all the money? No. Slain in the spirit. They're dead. Um, Because you cannot be wicked before God. You cannot step into God's holy presence as an unclean being and survive. Um, And that's what happens. Like, they die in the wilderness. In this particular instance... Then the Lord sent fiery serpents amongst the people, and they bit the people. So many people of Israel or so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, "We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away these serpents from us." So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, "Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole." And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Um, That's a really weird story, right? Um, But let me draw some stuff out here. Holy, awesome, pure God. In his presence, we grumble and that wickedness, that rebellion, that, hey, God wants Joe Theismann to be happy, right? That mindset of God needs to give me everything. God needs to, like, be my caterer and my universal vending machine. And, like, everything needs to be easy and wonderful and happy. That mindset um, prompts them to complain. And there are guys there, and they don't say it in this text, but it's everywhere else in the story of the Israelites we see this, Right? Remember how wonderful it was in Egypt? Can't we go back and be slaves again? Because we as people, as fallen people, we desire, like our sinful nature will always draw us back to slavery, to sin. It'll always draw us back to, like, pornography. It'll draw us back to the bottle. It'll draw us back to gossip. It'll draw us back to self-centeredness or to gluttony. Or to to wasting our money or to being like unloving to our neighbor or hating our political opponents or some other garbage. Like all of that stuff will always draw us back and we'll say, man, I want to go back to slavery in Egypt. And the reality is that standing in the holy presence of God, there is no surviving it. And the serpents are a great like symbol here because the serpent... Um, You go back into the Old Testament, like the beginning beginning, and the serpent is the one who brings death into the world, right? Adam and Eve believed the serpent. They ate the apple and they died, or the fruit and they died. And here we are, like, like these guys... You know, holiness is entered. Redemption has arrived. The Holy Spirit is there. And he is, you know, these folks are are there and they're afraid. Why are they afraid? Because God's holiness should scare the ever-loving craziness out of us. Right? The church, the modern church, takes the holiness of God far too lightly. Like far too lightly. I, um... Man, I'm going to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer forever now. Uh, in his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about why it is terrifying to confess sins to a brother, right? I mean, 20 or 15 years ago when I quit drinking, I had a a period of time where the Holy Spirit was just like grabbed hold of me. And I was I was struggling with my sin and I was trying to be right with God again. And I, I had this fellow who I sat down and I talked to, and I confessed to him everything I had done over the past, like, X number of years that I was drunk and doing all kinds of other stupid stuff and, and, you know, nasty and horrible to my wife and everything else. And I sat down with that guy, and I confessed everything to him. And it was the scariest, nastiest, most miserable thing to do ever. I cannot tell you how horrible it is. To spend years and years and years being an absolute dirtbag while working in ministry so you could pretend that you were wonderful while being an absolute dirtbag, hypocrite, awful, like, worm. And to sit there and to just vomit up all of that garbage that I had done and not be able to, like, like, not to pretend I'm okay. I'm wicked. And... What Bonhoeffer said about that, watch this. Bonhoeffer said, the reason it's so scary to confess to other people is because we don't begin to grasp the holiness of God. It's because we don't begin to grasp how pure and set apart and how terrifying God actually is. Um, If we did that, if we understood it, we would be terrified to bring our sins to God. Most of the time, when we confess, we sit down and we pray and we say, God, I did this and I did that, I did this, I did that. We're not confessing to God. We're confessing to ourselves. And that's the value of confessing to other believers. Because when we confess to other believers, it puts us in a position where it's kind of scary. To really, really understand God's holiness, we would be afraid to show up. And so, like, in this situation, the apostles are there. They're in a very public location. Solomon's colonnade is on, like, the east end of the city. You can stand on the edge of it if it still existed. It does not. You would be able to stand on the edge and look at the Mount of Olives. The Kidron Valley is right down underneath it, the Valley of Death. They're there in about the most public place you could possibly be in the middle of the temple. Um, They're surrounded by the religious leaders, by the police who arrested Christ. They are right there. And in the middle of all of that, um, they're preaching and sharing the word, and they're healing people very publicly. Folks are bringing their, their lame and sick and dying, and they're healing these people very publicly. And folks are like, yeah, I want what they got, but I don't want it, right? Was it uh, Augustine who said, Lord, teach me to be holy. Teach me to be sinless, but not yet. Um, And they look at these guys and they're terrified because they're like, yeah, they've got power and they got a message. But I'm afraid of I'm afraid of dying. I'm afraid of what they are. They're afraid to go. Um, They were highly regarded. I think a lot of those guys, but I can't be who they are. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord And were added to their number. And so most of the people came were afraid. They were afraid of the holiness of God and the consequences of it. If we really understood that, every Sunday morning when we walked in to hear the word preached, to sing our praises to God, to pray and everything else, we would be taking it very seriously. Um, It would be a terrifying thing to have a hidden sin. You know, but as it is, we often flirt with sin and we play with sin and we think it's a fun thing. And, you know, we 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 don't take it that seriously. But sin is at the core of it. What makes us unlike God? It's what makes us as unlike God as possible. Um, does that mean we're all hosed? No, because God raised up the serpent in the desert for his people. And all they had to do was look at the serpent on the, on the pole, and they were able to be healed, right? And Christ was raised up on our behalf, which is, Paul talks about this. I'm not just pulling this out of my ear. Um, Christ was raised up on our behalf, and we can't be holy and perfect, but we can look to Christ. And looking to Christ, we can be drawn in and made clean. Um, and so the church grows because some people are like, you know what, I'm going to look to the cross. I'm going to look to that serpent. I'm going to be healed. As a result... People brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. What? His shadow? (laughs) I mean, like, have you met anyone that was that powerful in prayer or that powerful in Like, I haven't. I haven't even heard of anybody like that apart from these guys. But the Holy Spirit was so on them and so filling them that people were like, if his shadow just touches them, it'll be good. Like, that is close enough because he was that powerful and that holy. Is that because Peter was awesome? No, it's because the Holy Spirit was so infested in this guy's life and was testifying to God's greatness and who Christ is that people like he would walk by and his shadow would be enough to heal. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, And all of them were healed. There's a moment of sidetrack here. Oh my gosh, this whole sermon has been sidetracked. Miracles happened for a reason. Miracles happened to testify to the truth of who Christ was. There are folks who will make miracles into the entire message. That is not it. Messages or like miracles specifically took place as a proof positive in the early church. Um, do, do miracles happen today? I think so. Um, I don't know why God chooses to do something sometimes and other things, not other times. I don't know if it's because we're too weak in our faith or whatever. But like the reality is the reality is that in this setting, these miracles, number one, are attached to this extreme holiness um, and this imitation of Christ, but also are testifying. They happened to grow the church. Um, The Holy Spirit is in the process of growing the church. By the way, growing the church right where Christ was crucified, which is amazing. That's like in the enemy's den, right? Like right in their living room, we're going to do this. And, you know, they didn't go somewhere else to preach the gospel. They did it right where it would be most like, dangerous. Um, then, all the high priests and all the associates who were, number, who were members of the parties of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and, um, and brought them out. Go to the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. Now, watch this. They get out of jail and they are not told to go to the most comfortable place. They're not told to go home. They're not told to run off. They're not going to. They're told, go do it again. Because what they were doing was what God called them to do. And when they're freed, they're not freed for their own happiness or comfort. They're freed to do what God called them to do some more. Your forgiveness, the grace you receive, the holiness God has. Has provided to us the righteousness He's given us through Christ exists so that we can be His people, so we can look like Him. What did Christ do when people were threatening and He knew He was going to be crucified? He went and He taught anyway, right? What did the apostles do? They did exactly what Jesus would have done. They went and They taught anyway. They went and stood in the temple courts and taught and They preached the gospel. Um, was this easy? Almost certainly it wasn't, right? But this is what holiness looks like. Not just sinlessness, but imitation of Christ. When you learn to turn the other cheek, that's holiness. When you learn to pray for people who attack you, that's holiness. When you learn to not hate people who disagree with you, that's holiness. When you learn to look at things and you say, man, that could be tempting to me, and you... Turn around and go in a different direction. That's holiness. Like holiness is a byproduct. Or holiness is to look like Christ. It is to act like Christ. Holiness is to minister like Christ ministered. Um, The reality is that we're probably not going to be doing miracles here. Right? Eric's healing hour, not happening. Right? I don't think God has given me that gift. I don't know that that gift is meant for this time. I don't know anything. Um, D.L. Moody said something amazing, though. He said, A holy life will make the deepest impressions. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. Um, In this world, we may not heal. Um, but you will touch this world if you are holy. Um, the gospel is effectively preached by folks who are holy. You want this church to grow. You want your, your neighbors who are dead in sin and trespass to come to know Christ. You want the lost to be saved. You want the, the, the sick to be healed. Like it happens through holiness and it happens through our holiness. Our call is to be lighthouses. One of my favorite Sundays is the Sunday I gave our services here is the one where I gave everybody COVID because I came and did it with a cold that turned out not to be a cold. But we like candles, right? We, we sing Silent Night on Christmas Eve, and we like candles. And the room goes from being pitch black, so you look and you see the glow of everybody's faces. Like, that is what we are called to be, church. We are called to be lighthouses, bringing God's holiness and his righteousness, dealing with people in ways that, like, reflect who Christ is, Sometimes that means firm, and sometimes it means hard, and sometimes it means loving, and sometimes it means patient. But it always means like Jesus. I'm going to end there, actually. We're going to roll the next few verses up into the trial that they're about to go and do. Um, What do we do with this? Man, this is like one of those bits of text that can almost look dry it's almost flyover country but i am telling you folks this church was effective and they made an enormous impact on the world around them because of the holiness of the holy spirit because they reflected him um and there's an ugly part to that because our holiness like holiness cannot stand sinfulness like when we go to god and pray i i remember when i was first getting my life together um and i i um had confessed all of these sins to my my friend and he said all right well the next thing you do is you go and you confess it all to your wife don't bother doing anything else until you're right with your wife and i was like all right well my wife's going to divorce me but i if it means being right with jesus i guess i'll do that and so i went and my wife didn't talk to me for a month um, and And it was hard, but it was also one of the best times of my life. Not because my wife wasn't talking to me, but because I was drawing closer to Christ. It was hard. I remember getting up one morning and praying and saying, God, show me where my sin is. I want to know what I forgot. I want to make it right. And I was reminded of a sin I'd committed years ago. And I said, oh, well, God, that doesn't count. Let's do something else. And every time I would pray, all I could think of was a sin I'd committed years before. And every time I prayed for about a week and finally I said, all right, I'll do it. I'll go find those people and fix it. And I went door to door in the neighborhood looking for somebody I didn't know so I could confess a sin to them. It was humiliating. And when they opened the door, they knew me. Like, Eric, you're here. And the dad called his children out to listen to me confessing. (laughs) And I did it. And they told me a story that broke my heart. And made me realize that God loves me more than, more than I ever deserved. And I, I went out and I sat in my car and I prayed and I cried. And I said, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. I would never have encountered that if I hadn't confessed. If I hadn't taken this wickedness out of my heart and torn it off and thrown it away. When Christ says, if your right hand offends you, if your eye offends you, get rid of them. Because it's better to lose part of you than to lose God. Than to be cast into hell. I'm here to tell you the taste of hell in this life is miserable. And usually sin brings it about. It torments us. Especially as we try to draw close to God, it torments us. And so, my challenge for you, my encouragement for you, my, my um, over and over again, what I'm going to put in front of you today is Christ died for your sins. You are forgiven if you have faith in Him. Be holy. Like, if you know where your sin is, bring it out and kill it. Give it the Ananias and Sapphira treatment. Like, like slay it in the spirit. Like, get rid of it. Confess it. Make it right with the people that you wronged. Confess to the people that you've gossiped about. I did it once. It was awful. But I would do it again ten times over. Go and make it right because at the end of the day, if you want to be like Christ, sin is the first thing that has to go. Like, you have to submit to him And make your life like him. Some days that's going to look like Navy SEAL training. Where it's going to be hard. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to be miserable. And some days it's going to be glorious and wonderful. But at the end of it. It's the only thing that matters. Being right with Christ is the only, only, only thing that matters. Um, John Brown, a 19th century Scottish theologian. Who was not the guy who attacked Harpers Ferry. uh, Holiness. Holiness does not consist in mystic speculations, enthusiastic fervors, or uncommon austerities. It consists consists in thinking as God thinks and willing as God wills. Walk out the door today and train to think like God thinks and to make your will like God's will is. You'll become a lighthouse that changes the world if you do. Go out and shine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I know I'm all over the place. I know my brain is still cloudy. Um, I know that I'm, I'm imperfect. I pray that the words that came out of my mouth today, despite my own fa- failing, despite my own um, shortfall, despite my own everything, Lord, I pray that that they, that they were Your words. And I pray that anything that wasn't got lost along the way and folks only heard from you and your spirit. I pray that you would fill us with your spirit and make us holy. Um, I pray that you wouldn't kill any of us in the process. Um, but, Lord God, I know that when old Eric died and you brought out new Eric, that that was worth it. And I pray for, for the discomfort that anybody goes through in the process of holiness. Lord God, that they would look back years from now and say, man, it was worth it. Make us lighthouses. Make us holy. Amen.